Let me ask this question. What are you glad and rejoicing in today? You're going to have a moment coming up where you get to share. So be thinking through what's going on in your own life because part of what we do in Thanksgiving, we don't want to just take one day. We want to focus throughout the month. Amen? We want to focus as believers in Jesus Christ. We have so much to be thankful for, so much to be glad in, so much to rejoice about, that we should be about that all the time, not just one day out of the year. But what a privilege to be able to magnify that to you this morning from Paul's discussion. I don't have this in my notes, so let me say it on the front side. For those that have been with us for the series, where is Paul writing from? Prison. How many of you, how many of you have gone to prison? No, no. <laughs> I could see you're like, if I start to go down that direction, you're going to think I'm, I'm asking you that. How many of you, if you were in prison after two years, would be glad and rejoicing? Many of us, in some respects, are in prison. And we're finding it very hard to be glad and to rejoice. I don't have that in my notes. I want you to hear, as we move through this passage, you have to contextualize, salt what you're hearing this morning with the understanding you're talking or you're hearing from an individual that's been in prison for two years. Got it? Let's dig in this morning. Father, this morning as we look at the, the richness of your word, speak to our hearts, open our eyes. Let us be those individuals that can truly say that we are glad and we rejoice in spite of the circumstances around us. Let your spirit move in truth, and in worship. Amen. So this idea of what are you glad and rejoicing in today, maybe you find it hard to, to be glad and rejoice. Maybe your circumstances are, are determining that for you a little bit. I understand that. My own life, uh, in my early 20s, I went through a really challenging time. I wouldn't trade it. And even with that, there's a little hesitation because we hear that all the time. I wouldn't trade that time. Really? Really? There are moments where I would trade it. Okay? It just depends on what I'm trading for. So I'll I'll be real with you. I'll be authentic with you. When I say I wouldn't trade these moments that spanned about eight months, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It comes out hard. It it squeezes out. It's the end of the toothpaste. I got to work at saying it, but it is true. It is true. I had to drop out of college because, well, I had to drop out of college. It was my senior year. The team I was on at college went on to take a national championship that next year. Missed out on that. I ended up bouncing from sofa to sofa and eventually ended up homeless for about, well, I won't tell you how long. Was still doing ministry for the Lord. Ended up breaking up from a relationship that um, was very, very challenging and very hard. Was estranged from my family. You know, my cat died. No, I didn't really have a cat. I just wanted to make it worse, okay? Um, I had to leave my ficus. I had a ficus but I had no home. I had to leave my ficus on the side of the road. Right? It's that bad. There was a period of time 
Most of that was true. There was a period of time, my point being, where my circumstances stole my joy. But I knew Jesus. How can that be? Because it was a choice. I made choices every day to be self-absorbed and to keep my eyes on the circumstances rather than Christ. And I want you to hear this clearly. Did Christ ever leave me? Never. Not once. But I picture Jesus just sitting up there the right hand of the throne of God just going, really? How long are you going to do this? How long are you going to do this? Maybe that's some of us today. But I say this, that when when I preach this today, I preach it from a very real and personal place. So, it's interesting, you'll hear, I've already, I've already uh, espoused some uh, ecclesial funnies this morning, right? But rarely, maybe three times a year, you will hear a canned joke from me. And you'll know it because it falls flat on its face. I cannot tell a joke to save my life. But there is a sense about my choice of preaching style that I want to be glad and I want to rejoice. I am not being critical of those who want to preach like Jonathan Edwards. Great, great man of God. But I will tell you, having walked the roads and walked the paths that I did in my early 20s, I now choose to be glad and to rejoice. There are moments in our life, brothers and sisters, where spiritually, physically, Emotionally, mentally, we've got to be serious. But if we do not capture this idea of what it means to be glad and rejoice, and I truly believe for myself, exhibit that even in my preaching, my joy, then we misrepresent who Christ is and what heaven is. And so this morning as I move through this, I do so in a sense of conviction, I do so in a sense of learning myself, I do so as being a disciple just like you, trying to figure this out. But I also do so as an individual who had to learn through a series of choices, good choices, how to learn to be glad and rejoice even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So let's start with the scripture. I'm going to read it. Be glad and rejoice all in on the church. And so we're going to just move through everything that's going to be on the screen today except the last slide will just be the context of where we are scripturally. So let's start with Philippians 2, 12 through 13. And we start with this word, therefore. Now, this word, therefore, is a transitional piece. I've been laying uh, wood. I've been laying wood floors with my good friend Chris. Uh, even yesterday was doing it. We had some of our high school guys come in, and, and it's kind of some technical stuff. There's a, there's a little lip, and you have to lock it in, and you have to do it a specific way, or it breaks. And so you kind of have exactly that situation. You have a transition. When you see the word, therefore, scripturally, there is a transition. And why am I spending so much time on this? Because it really bugs me when pre- preachers do this. They go off on tangents. You're like, what is that? What's that got to do with anything? Here's the point. If I just preach this text this morning, you will do this on your own. This is the practical application. You will do this on your own. 
That's why Paul says, before you start doing all this, remember what I just told you. What did he just remind them of? The example of Jesus Christ and how he made choices to fulfill the will of his Father and to obey and to work out all of his ministry to please the Father. And so he reminds the church, and I remind you, this is where we start today. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember how he chose to live. Remember that there was joy in his life in the midst of preaching, in the midst of living an austere life, in the midst of pleasing his Father, in the midst of fulfilling the will of his Father. All of that, you're going to see that flesh itself out in what Paul has to say now for us to make choices to be glad and rejoice. It's interesting, as I was learning, you know, we've got two different wood, we've got three different wood types in these new modulars, three different colors. And so trying to transition it, in your homes, you kind of have transition pieces sometimes, right? And, and you might have hardwood, you might have linoleum, you might have tile, you might have carpet, and you're like, well, how do we make those two things relate to each other? This is what therefore means. And so there's sometimes where I make bad suggestions, bad choices. Well, why don't we use a piece of high shag rug to transition between the tile and the... How many of you are up for that? that you know, there's no continuity. It doesn't help you take this theme and blend it into this theme. And so that's really what we're looking at. If I had my choice, we would use Reese's peanut butter cups to transition all floors. Because that brings about a lot of gladness. So the next point, so he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now. So he commends them on how they've been doing a great job as a church. How they've been loving one another. How they've been caring for one another. How there's great unity. How their choices have been God-honoring. So he says, I commend you on that. So now, keep it up. Not just when I was there with you, but now I'm away from you. Keep up what you're doing don't deviate don't walk he tells the galatian church when they started to deviate he says who stepped in who interfered with your race a little leaven ruins the entire what dough or affects the entire dough and so he's kind of saying the same thing to the philippians what a great comment it would be my hope it would be my desire and it would be my privilege that paul comes as a uh, as a um consultant maybe and he comes and he looks at our church and and he kind of writes a letter in the new testament the concordians right and what would he say about us what would be his comment about us as a church i would hope he would have the same encouraging praise about who we are in light of christ so he starts with this idea and then takes it into some of my most favorite favorite scripture of all and he says what are you supposed to do work out your own salvation with fear and trembling oh here we go for all you type a people yes like some real hellfire and brimstone kind of stuff here comes the fear and the trembling it's about time we got to this moved on from all that mamby pamby love peace and granola stuff see there's my not-so-stoic Jonathan Edwards style. This is often not really highlighted. Finish this. I'll make my point. Finish this statement. I can do all things 
We all know that verse. How many people know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? How many of us have that as a life verse? How many of you have ever gone before a judge? You don't have to raise your hand, Ron. <laughs> I, he raised it, he, he, you know, he's publicly said so. How many of you have ever gone before a judge? How many of you have ever... Uh, I had a, a young man sit down across from me a while back and ask, could he date my daughter? Two and a half hours he was asking, can I date your daughter? I remember when I was going to ask Janine's dad if I could marry his daughter. He's cleaning, I kid you not, he's cleaning a gun in his Barca lounger. <laughs> and she's hiding in the back room with her mom. She keeps coming out in the hallway and she's like, and I'm like. <laughs> there are those things in life. How many of you worry about your, when your taxes come in? with fear and trembling. How many of you worry? And we can go on and on, can't we? My point is I'm trying to connect you to the things that we have fear and trembling over. It's odd that we do not approach our God and our Savior with fear and trembling every day. That is a choice. And it's one that should be a daily choice in our lives. And if it were there, we would be properly aligned with God. Because God is a fear and loathing kind of God? No. Because if I don't have a healthy fear, and if I don't tremble in God's presence, God is no longer who? God. I want a God that if I'm before him, I act like John, and I go to my knees. No, not my knees. I lay fully prostrate on the ground. I get as low as I can, because that God is so magnificent, I cannot look upon him. Sometimes we forget that's the God we serve. Because we really enjoy the God that's going to give and give and give, but somehow we forget because our mindset, our choice of our mindset is not a heavenly one. Let's keep going. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a couple key things I want you to understand here. When we look at this, the idea is not so much connected to us personally. You would think it says work out your own. In the Greek, that's plural. What he's doing is he's talking to the church as a whole. You at Philippi, you who claim to love Christ, all of you as a church collectively, you need to work out. How many of you go to the gym to work out? And you don't have to, we're, we're into raising hands today. I, these are rhetorical questions. How many of you are like thinking, I'm going to go work out at the gym today, and then you just don't bother going, but you're like, but I paid my dues. So I'm really using that gym members. That makes no sense, right? You have to make a choice, an active choice, if you're going to see results. And some of us are very, very committed to that. But are we committed 
to working out our salvation. And in some respects, the better rendering of this idea is working out that relationship with Jesus Christ, what it means to think and to act in a heavenly and sanctified manner. Does that make sense? So Paul's saying, work at it. Don't just say, hey, I paid my dues, I'm in, we're good. He says, work at it. But what he's saying in respect is for the whole church. The form is plural here. Are we as a church concerned more about food, decorations, pop a shot, pickleball? Well, I'm really concerned about pickleball later today. Brothers and sisters, if we do not have this, all of that is a waste of time. All of that is a waste of time. This is the most important nourishment we can get today. This is the part where we give worship and exaltation to Him who is worthy. Amen? Let's keep moving. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, you know, there's a rule in hermeneutics, interpretation, that really the first rendering of what you think it says, what you have in your English, is probably what it means. Uh, there's other things like the plural form and, and things like that that, you know, that's, that's for me to help you understand. You really don't have to nuance the words fear and trembling. That's kind of really what, what Paul intended you to understand. All right? And so... Part of our choice is, in order to be glad and to rejoice, hit this idea, am I working on my salvation because of who Jesus is? Am I working on my salvation? And am I doing so with a proper understanding, adoration, respect of our almighty God? Let's move on. Actually, let me, let me go back real quick, if I can. Here we go, and boom. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let me speak to that real quickly. For it is God who works according to his good pleasure. A new believer wants to obey God and serve others. Do you remember when you first came to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you remember the excitement? Do you remember the, the zeal that was in you? Way underused word. Okay, if that's hard to remember, do you remember the last time you had smoked turkey? Do you remember the last time you were taken out for a wonderful evening? Do you remember the last time somebody you cared about deeply actually reached out and wrote you a, an email or a text or called you? Do you remember the last time you got a hug from someone you care about? See, these are things that make us glad. These are things that make us rejoice. Brothers and sisters, our challenge is for us to understand on a spiritual level, we can engage with Christ in this manner. It has to do with the choice of what we choose to think about. What we choose to think about. By the way, shameless plug, what's great about thinking about heaven and making that the priority is that heaven will not let you down. But there are individuals I'm still waiting for an email or a hug from, and it may never happen. 
And so it can steal away my what? It can steal away my joy. Yet heaven, when you truly understand how it works, when you truly put Christ on the throne, and you truly understand your position, God never, ever fails to fulfill His promises. So, what are His promises? Well, Paul says that He is working His will in you according to His pleasure. So it's not so much my will, and and God doesn't fail me when I ask for my will to be done. You know what? God's going to fail you a lot when you ask for your will to be done. Let's show a hand right there. Has God ever failed you when you wanted your will to be done? You can raise your hands on that one. Right? God, I've, I've been sick for how long? God, my children are going in the wrong direction. God, uh, did you see my tax bill? God, the chargers stink. God, how many people are going to die on the Warriors this year? Right? Again, I'm using really silly things, some not so silly. But you know in your own life how to transfer that to the real thing. And when you start talking and thinking about my will and fulfilling my will, I want you to do exactly what Paul instructs the Philippian church, the therefore. When you start thinking God has failed you and he's not working according to his pleasure in your life, I want you to think of Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, take this cup from me. It is more than I can bear. And we just stop. And Jesus doesn't go to the cross. And we are eternally damned and left to ourselves. Thank God the Father didn't listen to that request. But somewhere in John 48, there's a little commentary there where it says Jesus got really upset because the Father was not listening to him and the Father did not work according to Jesus' personal agenda, Jesus' will, Jesus' pleasure. Just so we're clear, you know where I'm going with that, right? There is no John 48. What I just said does not exist. Thank God it doesn't exist. Instead, Jesus followed up the very real and authentic frustration, darkness, even to the point where he is sweating what? Blood. Dark time, hard time, circumstantially, right? And yet he says, but not my will, yours. And Scripture says later, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. Do you want that? Do you want to be able to be glad and rejoice no matter how challenging and difficult the circumstances are? Then work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Put God on the throne. Humble yourself prostrate before Him. And then look at the understanding and the faithfulness that God is at work in your life. You just, I just need to see that and connect with it and trust Him. That it's it's according to His pleasure. And what a beautiful moment when you can be, when I can be glad and rejoice regardless of my circumstances. Amen? God is at work according to His will or to work within your will for his good pleasure. By the way, a good rendering of that word will is even a transference or a synonym would be want, your wants. 
All right, well, let's go to the next section. So here comes just the one thing that we put on our desks at work. You know, we, we stridently hold to, we love. I, I've, I've done this multiple times throughout the week as I've been doing construction uh, here on campus. And, and so do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Let's cover some details. Does this mean that you and I, now don't comment on me, you just got to answer for yourself. Does this mean we can be perfect right now? Doesn't it sound like that's what Paul is saying? Is that we can be perfect? No. It's the effort to be blameless. Remember Paul uses this illustration in Ephesians? where he talks about the husbands needing to present the bride spotless, blameless, just like Jesus does for the church. The idea is that you are working towards that idea of righteousness. That the true believer understands that they want to be like the Father. They want to be like the Son. That there is a progressive life for us to evacuate from this, the the effects, the insidious effects of sin and death. And if we're going to do that, we have to understand that that is a lofty but somewhat reachable goal through the power of whom? Through the power of Jesus Christ. And God working through you and I according to his good pleasure. This roadmap is pretty intense and complete that Paul's giving us on a practical level, is, he, is it not? Remember, he started by saying, remember what Jesus did, follow in that, in that pattern, continue to work at being holy, then start working, don't just camp out on it, but work on your salvation with what? With fear and trembling, put God where God needs to be, have a healthy understanding of who God is, and understand that part of that is you don't you don't change the character of God, but you let God demonstrate his love towards us on a daily basis. Let him do his work through us according to his pleasure. Wow, that's a lot. If we just did some of that, we would be doing so much better. Amen? But Paul's not done. He's still not done. He still keeps giving us more stuff to work on. So remember, the, the problem here is that there are many who look at this passage and say, it certainly seems like what Paul is doing is giving you a works-based faith here. Because there is so much to attempt and for us to involve ourselves in and work on. Remember, he started with, therefore, look back to Christ. Because you're not going to do this without God. And he also talks in the, in the framework and understanding that Whatever valley of death you might be walking through, whatever challenging circumstance you might be facing, it is God who's paying attention and can work your circumstances or carry you through those dark valleys to make it through. So complaining or grumbling? Interestingly enough, that word grumbling connects to 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 6 where Paul has to remind the church, you guys have gotten so far afield here, you resemble nothing of who Christ is. And you have such hard divisions among yourself that what you're doing at this point is you're taking each other to court to win your view. 
that you are becoming so self-absorbed. Have you ever known anybody that through the midst of going through court was just so glad and joyful? I've not met the person yet. They're, they may be glad and joyful afterwards if, if the favor comes in, or the ruling comes in their favor, but nobody loves going through that arduous process. And yet Paul is saying there is a reason to be glad and to rejoice as we work through these things. Let's not be complainer. Let's not be grumbling. In other words, let's not get so divided and conflict-oriented and self-absorbed in our own opinion that we actually end up to a point of going to court against each other. I'm going to give you a couple illustrations of this. So if we're supposed to do things without complaining or grumbling, I think we all kind of get that. That those times where it's challenging, where it's difficult, where it's hard, those are just all opportunities for us to lean on the Lord. Amen? Now, let's look at this idea of arguing and, and how the church does a bad job at this. Um, some of you saw me put out a posting last week about a shameful what I consider a shameful example of exactly what Paul is talking about. Exactly what Paul is talking about. These individuals may not be involved in our court system, but they have put things out into the public courts of evangelical Christendom to be judged and to draw lines in the sand. And the world is laughing at the church once again. And we are being shameful. And yet we can't, we can't control ourselves. We love to champion our agenda. And we love to pull from Scripture how that works according to God. The only challenge is when that starts to cross a line of division. And I'm not talking about false teaching, but personal preference, personal interpretation, and where that becomes div divisive and then we put it out into the public ether to force people to choose which side they'll be on. And so I, I made a comment last week that was very fascinating, the responses I got from all over the place, all over the world actually, pertaining to a great, great man of God, John MacArthur, making a statement publicly at a conference about another great, great sister in Christ, Beth Moore. And he was set up with a question that didn't allow him to answer very well, but he could have done a better job, in my opinion. Because as teachers, we have to be responsible with how we say things. And so asked to give a one-word comment about Beth Moore, and really what was being asked had everything to do with the egalitarian, complementarian issue of women's roles in churches and this, that, and the other. Beth Moore has a huge international ministry, and she does an incredible work. And his response when asked, Beth Moore. Now, I'm, I'm just, just, you heard me say I believe John MacArthur is a great man of God. You heard that, right? Because I said that in my posting, and a lot of people missed that. But his comment was, go home. Now, that's just part of what I would say is problematic, but what happened next was the part that shames the church, and I'm connecting to this idea of arguing, disputing, 
division and where I believe Jesus hangs his head in sorrow at his church? Is it the response of a couple thousand people at that conference was the same that you would find on a junior high playground? And you could hear people laughing hysterically or going, ooh, burn. That's shameful. And this is what Paul's talking about. Let it not be said. Now, you could turn around and say, I'm doing the same thing, right? I'm, I'm calling out. Brothers and sisters, when, when I say something publicly, it's out there. And it, it has opportunity for people to assess and comment on and this and that. The point is, we have manufactured within the church a division because of our choices on theology. This is nothing new. Do a study on George Whitfield and John Wesley. Two great, great heroes of the faith. And yet George Whitfield, who was a student of John Wesley, many of you know Charles Wesley, the Wesley brothers, they started Methodism. Yet they really didn't start Methodism as much as I have studied. George Whitfield was the one that really was the proponent of it and got it going, and John and, and Charles kind of managed it. But John and George were big, prolific individuals that brought about what was called the, um, not the Reformation, but the Great Awakening. And they became those that drew lines in the sand over a particular doctrine. And when they realized they were on opposite ends of this doctrine, the gloves came off by one of, well, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, it's out there. The gloves came off by John Wesley. And a great schism came before two of the biggest church leaders, and the world watched, and the world divided in the public courts. This is what Paul's talking about. And I would much rather be a George Whitfield in my approach to choices than a John Wesley. I wish I was as godly as John Wesley. Just understand that. But George Whitfield came back to England and he said, for the sake of the grace of God and for the church, I renounce all this work and I hand it to you, John. I'm out. It's yours. Do with it what you want. I will peaceably go over here and do my own ministry. And it took a long time. But when Whitfield died by request, he asked that John Wesley speak at his funeral. But the damage had been done. There's nothing new under the suns, brothers and sisters. And this is what Paul's warning against. And how is that playing out here in, in our church family or your own families, in your own homes? Where's the unity? And it becomes very easy. The enemy knows how to get in there because he says, the truth matters. Yes, the truth matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the challenge is for us to be unified in Christ while we try to work through what the truth is. Amen? Let's go to the next point. And so he says, do all that in the midst of what? A crooked and twisted generation. 
This is why I always kind of bristle back a little bit when people say how bad the world is now. Jesus is coming. How many of you probably said it, right? You've definitely heard it. Jesus has got to be coming any day now because the world is so bad, right? (laughs) Jesus is coming because Steph Curry broke his wrist. Okay, the world is so bad. By the way, my man Damien, you got to be loving life, brother. Laker fan over here. Yes. (laughs) Enjoy it while you got it. Be glad. Rejoice. But the idea, the idea for us is that we live in a twisted and broken and blemished world. And Paul was saying, even all the way back there, church, you live in a horrible situation. It is rife with sin. Can you relate? So Paul's being a pragmatist. He's given all this instruction, do all these things, make all these efforts, and, and he can almost hear them saying, yeah, but you don't know how hard it is, Paul. You're getting three squares a day in a Roman prison. Yeah, I don't think they said that. Paul is almost hearing them say, I understand, Paul, these are great platitudes, but you don't know how hard it is out here. Can I just encourage you? Stay tuned. Then he says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Are we ready to shine? The Philippian church shined. The Galatian church shined. The uh, church at Colossae shined. The church at Rome shined. But we all have our faults. If you just read through Paul's letters, if you read through Peter's letters, John's letters, we have all of our faults. We have to start with that understanding that we're fallible. If you have bought into the marketing program by Satan himself, that the church is filled with hypocrites. That's like saying the sky is blue most of the time. You know, when people say that to me, I say, do you have a qualifying statement after that? Do you have something you're adding to that? That's like saying that chair is green. Some of you are like, it's not green, it's like an off Yes, the church is filled with hypocrites. Church is filled with saints trying to be like Christ but struggle in their sin. And if we don't start with that idea that we are fallible, made righteous through Jesus Christ, then we're off base. Amen? So we start there. And Paul says if you start there and if you move against this twisted and wicked world by working out your salvation with fear and trembling, you will what? You'll shine like light. This is why we make this emphasis at Concord Bible Church of being a lighthouse in the community of Concord. Jesus desires that we be light to the world because he was light to the world. And so he gives us a little bit more instruction. He says, hold fast. Hold fast. So what's interesting here is that that idea of holding fast. Some of your, some of your uh, texts say holding on. Some say hold fast. It's the idea, the same word was used in this way in, in antiquity for the idea that a guest was coming to you and you would hold out the gift of wine to them. Right? Don't let it slip, don't let it fall, but hold fast to it 
in order that you may extend what? Grace. In order that you may extend a gift. So he's saying hold fast to what? The word of life. Brothers and sisters, that's why this, the word of life, is so desperately important. It works. It gives life. It satisfies the soul if you get into it. If you make it the authority in your life. If you live as if it is sufficient for all things in life. It works. By the way, you spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time on my phone, but I have to recharge it every single day. Maybe multiple times. This never needs recharging. It has an unlimited power source because of the beauty and the truth and the veracity that's in its pages, it allows me to walk through those valleys of the shadow of death so that I can be what? I can be glad and rejoice. In finishing up this morning, he's saying, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Here's what's interesting about that is Paul says that you can be proud. I thought pride was a sin. I thought pride was a sin. Paul's so mixed up. Yeah, he really needs to teach in a lot clearer way. If I make a choice on a daily basis to think heavenly and then earth and then hell, and I make my choices and my priorities of my choices in that order, when I arrive before him and he says, as Jesus eloquently put, when you enter in and you have to give an account for what I gave to you. Right? The parable of the talents. Do you want to hear Jesus say, well done. Well done. This is what Paul's talking about. Not the idea of sinful pride. But the idea that on a daily basis, my choice was to think heavenly first, then about the earth around me, and then make choices in consideration to the destruction of hell. And if I do that, I'm going to be able to live above those circumstances like Paul says. And he says it in this way, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, so in other words, he's saying, even if I am in prison, even if I'm going through incredibly hard times, it doesn't matter. The word even is a conditional statement. He's saying it's worth it. It's worth it for me to go through all this turmoil and all this trouble, right? That's why Paul writes this letter. Let's back out to the whole bird's eye view of it. Is that they're concerned because he's stuck in jail? He's, they're saying the church is going to fail. Paul, you need to get out. We need to get. He says, even if I'm here suffering, it's for you. And I'm good with that. Because the day when I stand before Jesus Christ, I will be satisfied. I won't go, go before my Father without hesitation. Brothers and sisters, this is the key to what Paul says next. Look at it in your scripture. In finish, he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, if I am to be taken 
and put in prison if I am to suffer, if it produces your faith, he says what? I am glad and rejoice with you all. There's that word again. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. We finally got there. No matter what your circumstances are, locked up in a Turkish prison or a Roman prison, can you say what Paul is saying? I want to be able to. Do you? I want to be able to say that on a daily basis. Regardless of what fails, regardless of the difficulties I go through, I can be what? I can be glad and rejoice. Why? Not because I practice all these things that I, I laid out for you that make good choices that lead to this gladness, but because of Jesus at work in me. For it is God who works in me according to, to change my wants and my wills according to His what? His good pleasure. When I'm living in that fashion, in that manner, and practicing these, these pragmatic choices that Paul says, what results, regardless if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, my suffering, my circumstances, my difficulties, he says, I can be glad and I can rejoice with all of you. And he doesn't leave it there. He says, likewise, you also. Isn't that fascinating? Also is a word. We don't see all in there. Let me say it again. All. So. So becomes a modifier. Let's not lose what's being said there. You all. So. Should be glad and rejoice. Our last statement today in closing is to be glad and rejoice is a choice. It is a choice. One found daily in the foothills of heaven. Let me encourage you in this way. I mentioned George Whitfield and John Wesley and John MacArthur and Beth Moore, and I could mention my wife and myself. I can mention on and on. What's interesting is Paul had his own issues where he could come across as hypocritical, right? The challenge today is for you to decide whether or not Paul is blowing smoke or if this is real. Early in Paul's ministry, he divided with that who he loved deeply his partner in ministry and it was unresolvable we don't know why but it was unresolvable history in antiquity tells us that they were resolved in the end we just don't have it in scripture but i think the reason why paul keeps speaking later in life from prison as he's winding down his ministry he keeps emphasizing unity do you see that he keeps emphasizing unity i think some of what happened between him and barnabas he resents He's saying, if I could have changed it, I would. Let's just skip over that, can we please? And make choices that first focus from heaven's floor or the foothills of heaven, consider the world around us and are reactive against hell. Amen? Amen. Let me close, and then we're going to show a video that leads us to this idea of thanksgiving, and then you're going to have a chance to share things that you're glad about things that you're rejoicing in. This is an opportunity to sit around the Thanksgiving dinner table and share what you're thankful for as a church. So let's all be in on it, all right? If you guys keep speaking, we'll have to cancel Joe and the, and the worship band, and we'll just have uh, spontaneous actions. No, you'll have a very short period of time to say it, so, so work on it. Let me close in prayer, and then let's get some inspiration and video. Um,
and then the worship team will come up. Father, this morning, we thank you for the way that you speak in Scripture. Let us each look to our own hearts, our own choices in life. And those times where we fail, where we become self-absorbed, where we become self-experts, we lose the understanding of fear and trembling of who God is. We exalt ourselves. We say we are God. We will make our own choices. And yet our lives in so many ways are disastrous. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning that we may respond to you and say we desire a better way. A way that we can be glad and we can rejoice in the midst of the circumstances and the difficulties. Father, choices you showed me as a young man that changed my life. I thank you for the veracity and the truth of what was just shared. Let us open our hearts to it and be moved by it. To you be the glory. Amen.